everybody, I'm Barb, and I'm very grateful, Al-Anon. Um, uh, how many of you in here are um, members or uh, of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon and Alateen? Raise your hand for me. Great. I'm really great y'all are here. How many of you have never been to an Al-Anon meeting at all? Welcome. I promise I won't bite. Um, I, uh, I, think, I, I want to be sure that y'all know, you know, Al-Anon's steps and traditions are pretty much the same. Our steps only have one word different. Um, we talk about uh, carrying this message to others instead of carrying this message to alcoholics. The traditions are slightly different. One of the ones that's very important is that we cooperate with Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I know in 1985 I had the pleasure of um, uh, being able to attend the International Convention and Al-Anon's first international convention that was in conjunction with the AA International. And the opening speaker for Al-Anon's International was Lois Wilson. And um, it was a real turning point. I'm not going to tell my whole story uh, today, but that convention was where I finally took the first step for myself. I quit just going to meetings for Dick. And uh, what I remember so much from that was that Lois said that she would always, always cherish our three big A's, Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, and Alateen. And over the years that I've been in this fellowship, I've seen more and more separation between the programs. And I don't think it was ever designed to be that way. We are a family program, and I'm so glad that there's so many AAs and Al-Anons here today. And Dick and I really truly, I mean, what we try to do in this workshop is begin to show how we do the best we can to work the steps and traditions individually and as a couple um, so that we can have that bond of AA and Al-Anon. How many of you in here are in a relationship? Okay. How many of you in here want to be in a relationship? Okay. Uh, how, many of, how many of you in here would just as soon not be? No, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> okay. In relationships, um, and relationships are really more about, uh, about a lot more than just uh, a, a relationship between man and woman or uh, women and women or men and men. It's really more about, than just that intimate relationship. We have relationships with our parents. We have relationships with children. We have relationships with our boss. Some of you are a boss. You may have relationships with the people that, you, that work for you. We have relationships in our home group, and sometimes tension happens there. Uh, we have relationships with our coworkers. Sometimes we get along well, and sometimes we don't. Uh, you may have a neighbor from hell. You know, who knows what kind of relationship issues you've had. But um, Al-Anon, you know, one of the things that I often say is that Alcoholics Anonymous is all about a drinking problem. Al-Anon is about a thinking problem. Okay. You know, Al-Anons have an abnormal way, at least I'm speaking for myself, I have an abnormal way of thinking. One of the few slogans that I've never related to from AA uh, in the same way that, um, that alcoholics do is think, because I do not need to go into my head alone. I'm glad I have a sponsor and friends. When I am thinking, I'm usually ruminating over try, trying to fix somebody or a resentment or how to control a situation or fix a problem. Um, 
I'm, I'm ra rarely thinking healthily unless I have someone in that process with me. And Al-Anon has been everything about helping me learn how to think in a different way and by working these, these steps, uh, these 12 steps, find a way of improving my relationships but improving my life as well. Now, I wanted to start uh, by reading, uh, because a couple people asked me to do it, um, my 12 steps before Al-Anon, so you'll uh, recognize how much um, improvement I've actually made, hopefully. Um, number one, I discovered that I was powerful over others and that your lives were certainly unmanageable. <laughs> Two, came to believe that I was the power that could restore you to sanity. Three, made, a decision, made your decision for you to turn your will and your life over to the care of me. Four, made a searching and fear-filled inventory of everyone that I knew and found them lacking. Five, admitted to God, myself, and anyone that would listen the exact nature of your wrongs. Six, became entirely ready to assist you in removing all of your defects of character. Seven, humbly, ha, assisted you in removing all your defects of character, except when to do so would cause me harm. Eight, made a list of all persons that had harmed me and vowed to get even with them all. Nine, waited and waited and waited and waited for everyone to make direct amends to me. Ten, continue to take your inventory and when you were wrong, promptly pointed it out. Eleven, sought through martyrdom, mothering, managing, and manipulating to improve your conscious contact with me, asking only that you read my mind and carry out my wishes. And twelve, having had a had a complete physical, emotional, and spiritual breakdown as a result of this type of living, I tried to drag down all those I loved with me and get sympathy and pity from all that would listen. <laughs> well, gratefully, Al-Anon has helped me not live that way every day. <laughs> um, what I'm going to share with y'all today is um, many of the principles that I have learned through the Al-Anon program. Um, most of them connect to those principles that Dick talked about in their traditions. But those principles that I have learned uh, that have assisted me in working with my relationships. I believe probably most any member of Alcoholics Anonymous at some point might benefit from uh, wandering over to the other room. Um, one of the things I hope that will come out of this is that fear that I think some people in, in Alcoholics Anonymous have of Al-Anon. You know, that uh, I, as, I, as Dick and I have spoken around the country, I've often been in a hospitality room at a convention and I've heard a man talking to his sponsee and his sponsee will say, well, you know, should I encourage my wife to go to Al-Anon? And his, sponsor, and his sponsor would go, oh, no, you don't want to do that. She'll make your life a living hell. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and this has happened way too often. And, uh, and what I have found, you know, if I'm, I'm not completely well yet. I try to fix these people. And uh, 
So I, uh, if I have the opportunity to talk to those well-meaning sponsors, at some point I try to. And uh, one particular time I asked this gentleman, I said, um, just out of curiosity, um, why did you tell him that? He said, well, my wife went to three meetings, and uh, she, she just made my life a living hell, and we're divorced, and uh, you know, she took the house and everything I owned. And I said, if somebody went to three AA meetings, would you call them a member of Alcoholics Anonymous? And, uh, and he got it. I mean, his wife was not a member of the Al-Anon Alateen Fellowship. She visited three meetings. So uh, I said, if she actually stuck around and worked a program, your relationship might have been completely different. So um, those of you in AA, don't be afraid of your family members going to Al-Anon. I truly believe today that the only reason that Dick and I are still married and have not murdered each other is because we're both in a program. We, we work this program together uh, and individually. I work on my steps, and he works on his steps. And we try to come together to pray and meditate together, to talk about our relationship together, to talk about the things that we're working on individually, so we'll know. But um, honestly, the only way I think we are married today, and probably alive, is because um, of this fellowship. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the wisdom of the serenity prayer. And um, it kind of connects the first part of it, the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, connects to uh, what Dick talked about in Tradition 3, uh, acceptance without judgment. You know, learning to accept the things I cannot change. Um, you know, I spent my life trying to fix people. You know, and I came into Al-Anon and I discovered, you know, there were things that, uh, about Dick that were pretty ingrained. He was 34 when we got married, and he had, as he shared with you, he had been engaged a number of times, but he never had anybody who had actually agreed to marry him. And so he had some set habits uh, at 34. One of them was the toilet seat, okay? Now, if, if, I don't want to cause any arguments in here today, but this is simply what my sponsor told me. I could not accept that he did not res, you know, respect me enough to put the seat down, okay? I just couldn't accept it, and I would bring it up to my sponsor over and over again. And one particular day that I had fallen in in the middle of the night uh, before, um, and I was talking to my sponsor about it, and she said, you cannot mention this to me again unless you'll try something. And I said, what? She said, no, you have to agree before I tell you. Now, if your sponsor ever tells you this, beware. But um, anyway, I said, I said, okay. And she said, I want you to try putting the seat back up for him. I said, you've got to be kidding. She said, no, it'll, you'll know that it will always be up, and so you'll just have to put it down every time, and you won't think about it. Just try it. Try it. So the first couple times I'd slam it back up because it kind of irritated me, and, uh, but it didn't take very long at all before it was, I'd giggle. You know, I'd put it back up and walk away. And it got funnier and funnier and funnier because it took Dick almost a month to notice. Okay? <laughs> And so, uh, and one day he said, uh, have you developed some kind of new unusual bathroom habit? And I said, no, I'm just putting the seat up for you, honey. And, uh, you know, this toilet seat has never been an issue since then. We both laughed. It just, uh, now that's not, and I, and I rarely fall in because I'm used to looking. And, uh, you know, up or down, who cares? You know, I've known marriages that break up over less, you know. 
toothpaste tubes and toilet seats and things like that. They're just not that important. One of my favorite slogans in Al-Anon is how important is it? it? You know, the toilet seat is in that category of how important is it? It's just not one of those things that is important enough for us to nag incessantly about. Um, my mother had her own, um, you know, in process of trying to make amends to my parents. I just I included them in my life. And uh, they both died in 2005, actually 10 days apart. Um, but wh one of the things I still remember about my mother, and it used to be one of the things that irritated me the most, but I would call her every day and I'd say, how are you doing? And she said, well, I'm just keeping on, keeping on. And it was her own version of I'm just living one day at a time, you know. Now, my mother was not necessarily the happiest person in the world, but she tried in her own way to try to live her life in this day. And uh, keeping on, keeping on has a whole different uh, connotation to me today because accepting the things I cannot change is sometimes just that, living in this day, keeping on moving through my life and not worried uh, so much about trying to fix everything in the world that isn't according to the way Barbara wants it. Um, the three A's of Al-Anon uh, are awareness, acceptance, and then as the second part of the serenity prayer uh, moves, it's more about is moving into action. Um, you know, awareness of myself. Becoming, beginning to be aware of myself, aware of my part in this family disease and how it has affected me. Uh, I often meet Al-Anon uh, people that come to their first Al-Anon meeting. And we have a lot of people who come through Al-Anon and don't stay very long. They come to meetings and they want us to give them the miracle answer of how to keep somebody else sober. And when they hear that Al-Anon is for them, so they'll be happier in their life and they can work the steps themselves. Uh, we have a lot of early exiters, you know, that come to Al-Anon and say, oh, I'm not going to look at myself, and they walk out the door. Um, but what I learned in this program was that gift was time that I could learn to accept those things that, cannot, that I could not change. And pretty much the only thing I can change is me. And sometimes I don't have power to change everything about me. I had an automobile accident four weeks ago today. A lot of y'all prayed for me. And um, I now have a dislocated um, joint in my shoulder. And at this point, they're not planning on fixing it. And so um, I can't change that in me. I can do my physical therapy to the best of my ability. And I can look on a positive frame and try to, to face what I need to do to get myself better. But right now, I can't fix that. I can't move that bone. There are things about ourselves we can't change. Those things that I have the courage to change are all about me. Um, I had to be willing to work my own program. I had to be willing to work the steps myself. I had to be willing to make my own amends. I had to be willing to admit that I owned amends. You know, I think uh, for a long time, I just kind of, not unlike my goofy before steps, I kind of sat back and waited for all the alcoholics in my life to get around to making amends to me, you know, and uh, it didn't work that way. I've, you know, I've only had one or two people in my life ever try to make amends to me. Uh, that doesn't mean that I don't owe, didn't owe many people amends. 
And, um, and that process of working the steps was a miracle for me. I had an incredible amount of self-centered pride when I came into this program, and I never would have recognized it. You know, I had a lot of gifts given to me over the years. Dick uh, and I had some financial problems early on, and um, I had a car that died, and I had a friend in the program who gave me their old drunk car, okay? Now, this was not a car to have a whole lot of pride about, but it was a vehicle, and it ran, and it actually ran pretty well. But in the hood was spelled in rust, Judy loved Donnie, okay, in the hood. The headliner was falling down, and no matter what I did, it really wouldn't stay up. I had straight pins. I tried staples. I tried all kinds of things. So the headliner kind of hung down, and so there was kind of like an air of dust that would blow out the windows. It didn't have air conditioning. And uh, the back headlights um, uh, were broken out, so I had tape over them you know, red tape so I wouldn't get arrested. And so I would go to meetings and I would park the car a block away and walk the rest of the way because you couldn't see somebody like me driving that car. You know, but the day that I finally got to the point that I could drive the car into the parking lot and be grateful for the gift that God gave me instead of somehow or other resentful for it, it was not a week or two later that things started changing. You know, sometimes uh, that self-centered pride and let go, letting go and not seeing the gifts that God gave me and not wanting the gifts that God gave me kept me trapped. Um, I also um, had a tremendous amount of fear when I came in the program, and I, I had to look at where some of the fears came from. And a lot of them came from my dad. He was actually a very, he was a very loving man. You know, everybody that ever met my dad loved him. He was just... He, he, was, he, uh, he would make friends with people so easily, but he was filled with fear. And a lot of my fears came from him. You know, he told me that if you um, ever, um, uh, that you needed to look in the toilet in the middle of the night if you ever went to the bathroom because there might be a rat there. Uh, and uh, so I grew up with a fear. Now, when I really started looking at where the fear came from, he grew up on a farm with an outhouse. Okay, his reality was a whole lot different. So the reality of his fears was a lot different than the reality of my fears. And so when I started breaking them down, I realized a lot of these things I really didn't have to fear. Um, you know, we have um, we, my fear of, of uh, mice and, and then rats. I'll just tell a minute version of this story. Uh, I was terrified of, of mice, and they were in uh, my life at several points, and Dick had to fix it, and I wasn't dealing with it, and we moved out to the country. And uh, one day I screamed bloody murder because I saw a rat run by, and Dick said, oh, no, I'm sure it was just a big mouse. And I said, no, this was a rat. And so the next morning uh, he came in the bedroom, and he had on his army boots and uh, or, or his, you know, combat boots and his bathrobe, and his hair was um, kind of out like Bozo the Clown, and uh, he had a crowbar in one hand and a 9 millimeter in the other, and he'd been up all night long doing war with the rats. There were eight of them. And so uh, my sponsor actually gave me permission to move out of the house a couple days, uh, more because out of fear of him than the rats. But um, I'm not scared of mice anymore. You know, sometimes it's, it's funny how that, you know, we work on character defects and God gives us ability to work on them. And, look, and for me, it's often through humor. I, I'm able to see something and see the humorous side of it. 
You know, I, Dick's been out of town. He went to the International, I mean, went to the Founders Day, and he also spoke the weekend before that. And I am not able to drive right now, and I'm not very good at asking for help. And so when you have to get places and you can't drive and your husband's out of town, hey, guess what? You have to ask for help. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how God gives me those opportunities to change me, you know. The... Um, the wisdom to know the difference is sometimes just to know when I need to mind my own business and not somebody else's, as uh, that tradition is, minding my business and not everybody else's. But there's so much wisdom in the serenity prayer. When I sit down and I try to figure out, okay, is this something I can do anything about? You know, I'll pray the serenity prayer and that wisdom comes and I, you know, it's probably pretty obvious. If it has something to do with somebody else, I'm not going to be able to fix it, you know. Um, but the wisdom of the serenity prayer comes back to me over and over again. Um, <clears throat> the next thing I want to talk about is detachment with love. And, um, you know, I- I've seen many people come to Al-Anon, and they come for a little while, and they hear the concept of detachment, and a detachment sometime, somehow or other equals divorce. And so they cut the person out of their life, and they walk away from Al-Anon and the person, and they're well, and they're whole, you know. And then they meet their other alcoholic, the next one that comes along because they're not well. And they come back to Al-Anon a couple years later, and maybe they'll stick this time, or maybe they'll detach from that one by cutting them out of their life, and they'll repeat the whole pattern over again. Detachment with love is about not having to be in somebody's face, not having to be there to fix every little thing, nitpick every little thing, love them enough to let them find their own way and their own bottom. Or, you know, sometimes detachment can be useful in a recovering uh, relationship as well. You know, being able to love someone and not have to nitpick a character defect that I don't like. You know, just being able to detach with love. The, um, the most important thing for me is, is letting go, um, you know, how in the process of letting go of others, it really helps me. You know, if I'm not spending so much time trying to fix and control other people, I have a whole lot more time in my life, you know. I have a whole lot more usefulness that I can offer. Um, I have to remember this even in sponsoring. You know, people, my sponsees often ask me, what should I do? You know, just tell me. What should I do? And I'll say, I can tell you what, what my experience is, and I can tell you what some other people's experience is, and I can maybe even point you to a couple other people you can talk to, but ultimately you have to make your own decision. As a sponsor, if I'm ever telling somebody you have to do this or I'm not sponsoring you anymore, I'm no longer working my Al-Anon program because I'm trying to fix or control somebody else's life. So today it's very important for me to remember that, um, that I, can, I can share my experience, strength, and hope. I can't fix. Uh, forgiveness is probably the most important thing that I learned in Al-Anon. You know, I think that um, um, most of us come into this fel- these fellowships, AA and Al-Anon, and have people that we resent. 
And I know for me, I had some people that I resented so much that they had ceased to exist. Okay, My brain had a tendency to eliminate people's names, faces, where they lived even sometimes, out of my brain. If I truly resented somebody, my brain did everything it could to erase it from my memory bank. Um, and so, therefore, I didn't have as I, I started to remember some of these resentments I had as I was in Al-Anon a little while. I came from a don't talk, don't feel family. Uh, we didn't feel anger. We didn't feel pain. We didn't feel fear. We were just, we were the numb family, uh, and we were the people-pleasing numb family. Uh, what do you want to do today? I don't care. Whatever you want to do. You know, it was, uh, but I had done such a good job of, like, but not really, because my stomach was torn up, I had, I had ulcers, I had intestinal problems, I had asthma, I had active eating disorder, I was severely depressed, <clears throat> so my body took it all in. Um, when I started feeling, it was pretty scary, because I hadn't felt for such a long time, and all this resentment and pain started coming up, and I knew... I had one or two choices. I could go back to Numland where I felt nothing and eventually I probably would have, you know, died a lot sooner uh, from some kind of uh, physical ailment. Or I could actually bring those things up, go through the fourth and step, fourth through ninth steps for myself, look at myself and look at my part in things and move on. Um, when Dick and I first got married, um, you know, his, he was, his business was struggling just a little bit, and so I thought I was going to be a part of his business by um, helping, okay? And it was that point in time where you get all those credit card applications in your life, you know? And so I'd get a credit card application, and I was supposed to be his business manager, and so I would pay the bills that we were struggling to pay with my credit cards, okay? And... Then the next month, I would have to come up with a way to pay that credit card bill and all the bills. So I'd get another credit card, and I'd pay that credit card bill and all the bills. And I did this to the tune of $30,000, okay? Now, he, I was so mad at him, but he never asked me to do it. You know, he didn't ask me to do that. I did it. I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save the business on my credit, and everything's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be miraculous, and I'm going to fix it all, and then I will have just a real solid part of his company. I'll feel like I had an investment in it. You know, it was all in my head. I didn't talk about it with anybody. I hardly had a sponsor. I had a sponsor in name, but I wasn't talking to any talking to her. I was doing this. This was the Barbara's Cliff Notes version of the program time, and, you know, I was, I was going to be the savior, you know. And it didn't work that way, you know. I, I eventually paid all that off. But it took a long time, and, and my, you know, my credit took a real severe hit for a long time. And it honestly wasn't until I accepted that I did that. You know, I, Barbara, did that. He didn't do that. I did that, that the anger went away. You know, and there's so many, that's just an example. But, you know, as we begin to look at that power that those resentments have, we can't, we can't truly forgive somebody if, if we don't accept our part, you know. And often it's all our part. If we're really honest with it, we're angry with, for some, to somebody else because of something we did. Um, 
And, you know, there's also those people that we want to forgive us. Um, but I think, you know, particularly on the Al-Anon side, because that's the side I'm on, there's the three Ps for not forgiving. And they are protection, power, and punishment. Okay? You know, I know a lot of folks that won't, protect, won't forgive someone because somehow or other not forgiving them protects us. If I don't forgive them, then maybe they won't hurt me again. You know, if I forgave, you know, so-and-so, I would be vulnerable and they could hurt me again. I see it a lot in early Al-Anons. They won't forgive their, their alcoholic even though they're three, six year sober. Because if they really forgive them, then they may drink again. You know, they may be out there again. And so they, they wear that resentment and that maybe I'll forgive you someday as a wall of protection. It's not real protection, but they think it is. Um, the other, the, the power is, you know, I'm not going to forgive you because if I, you know, I can manipulate you if I, I have some power over you if I don't uh, forgive you. You know, you, may, I can get you to dance my, to my tune. Um, and that's, that's not real either. But sometimes we think it is. And then the last one is punishment. I'm not going to forgive you because I'm, I'm punishing you, you know. Uh, you have hurt me and I am going to hurt you by being mad at you and not accepting you back in my life. You know, I, I, know, I know people that have been mad at their parents for 30, 40 years, never talked to them. They're still punishing them, you know. Um, and what forgiveness, forgiveness is all about us being able to be free. You know, that 10-pound, 100-pound, 300-pound, you know, ton-pound weight of all those resentments and all that pain that we carry around with us, we have the ability to just kind of unfasten it and let it go um, if we're able to find forgiveness in our life. And um, forgiveness is a tremendous um, uh, principle of Al-Anon. Would I rather be right or would I rather be happy? Okay, you know, uh, Dick talked about uh, in Tradition 5, um, uh, looking at our purpose as a family. You know, is, if we're really about being our purpose and, uh, and our opinions count, but we don't always have to get our way, then sometimes looking at would I rather be right or would I be, rather be happy is very important. Um, Living, uh, living my life on life's terms, living my life in such a way that I can actually, um, I don't have to win every argument. Uh, Al-Anon, and this is, you know, some of y'all that have never been to an Al-Anon meeting, you're going to learn enough about Al-Anon that you, you may hear it every now and then and now recognize that it's Al-Anon, but, um, so I'm giving y'all a little bit of insight into who we are, but, uh, there's some statements we learn early on when we're talking with someone and we uh, don't want to get into an argument. Um, and one of them is, you know, you say whatever you're going to say and we say, well, you might be right. Now, this was not my favorite one because I didn't, uh, you know, even though I was, could say it, you know, I was thinking inside, you, the hell you are. But, um, uh, 
but you might be right, uh, is, is a way of, of sometimes just quieting something down. You don't get into an argument. I don't have to, I don't have to make you believe my way. As Dick was talking earlier, uh, there's a lot of those kind of arguments. We're just, we're just not going to win. And you might be right, this is a fine statement to use. Um, one of them is, um, that I use a lot is, hmm, that's interesting, let me think about it. You know, um, it's, uh, it's effective, it's, you know, uh, sometimes uh, if you've heard a, a long uh, a verbatim of, of someone's opinion, it, it, you know, you're, you're and, and I will think about it, you know, uh, and call my sponsor, but uh, I, will, I, uh, I will think about it. Um, that's an interesting point of view. You know, sometimes some people's point of view are really interesting. But, um, you know, that, that's an interesting point of view. I've used that at work. You know, that's an interesting point of view. If it, you know, somebody at, at work uh, that I don't agree with, uh, it's, a, it's a more professional way of saying you might be right. Um, is, is a, it often stops arguments. Um, uh, thanks for sharing your opinion. It means a lot. Now, this is... This is when, I'm, when things heat up a little bit and I really don't want to get into an argument, maybe you right, might be right and uh, I'm literally think about it doesn't work. Uh, and, um, you know, thanks for sharing your opinion is uh, a way of, of letting them know, hey, I'm not going to argue with you, you know. And there's a lot of freedom in knowing that, that I, um, I don't have to always uh, be right. You know, I may know internally I'm right, and not have to make everybody else believe that too. Uh, ending arguments before they start is certainly helpful. It takes two people to argue. You know, if you've got a very uh, tenuous relationship with someone, try it. Try using some of these statements. Try just listening. Um, I also have kind of a negative filter in my ear, and sometimes people are talking to me and everything is negative, and, and I'll look like I'm listening, but my ear kind of traps all the stuff that's going to hurt me. Um, and over, over the years, I've gotten a lot better at being able to do that. Um, also, if, we're, if we'd rather not live life having to be right all the time, we also don't have to live life um, as a victim. You know, I, I know a lot of people, and, and I'm, uh, whatever your experience is, is whatever your, whatever your experience is, is, but I don't want to live life as a victim anymore. You know, um, today, the way my mother punished me would probably be called child abuse, okay? But I don't want to live my life thinking as, as, as though I was an abused child. It's not a helpful thing for me today. You know, I... Um, I forgave my mother. That's the way she was raised. It was the way her mother was raised. It was the way things were put, you know, passed on. I didn't want to stay stuck and being a victim in my life. Dolly Parton once said, um, "Get down off the cross. Somebody needs the wood." Um, you know, I just, I don't want to live my life being a victim. You know, and I know people that that can't forgive someone that that are constantly in there challenging them or or arguments with their parents or whatever it is because they don't, you know, they, they're holding on to their martyr victimhood, you know, but they, they hurt me. And, and again, if you are a victim of child, childhood sexual abuse or, or physical abuse or you've been raped or, or whatever the situation is, there's a lot, 
I'm not negating that. Okay? You know, that's something to work through with your sponsor and maybe even get professional help if you need it. But if you can get to the point that you don't have to live the rest of your life in that whatever that victim mentality is that we, got, we get stuck in, you know, it makes so much difference. You know, this program, this fellowship can... And if I'm a victim, I'm probably going to be afraid in every relationship I'm in. You know, I'm probably going to fall back on thinking everyone's out to hurt me. Every, you know, I don't want to be a victim again. I'm going to wear this wall even tougher because I don't want anybody to help me, I mean, anybody to hurt me. And, and maybe I don't want anybody to help me either. So um, I have found that, that those things I've learned in Al-Anon mean more than anything else in that kind of way. Um, I learned a tremendous amount um, in service. Alanon has a little book, When I Got Busy, I Got Better. And, you know, in that book, I learned that you could actually have an argument and everybody would hug at the end of the meeting. It was just this amazing thing, you know. My, uh, I came from a family where if I, we had a family motto, it was um, either hide out or uh, agree to whatever, you know. We, um, we, were, we didn't have opinions. You know, I was taught early on it's better not to have an opinion. So my answer to most any question when Dick and I were first dating was, oh, I don't care, whatever you want to do. And uh, one day he made the mistake of uh, deciding that I needed to have an opinion. And so he pulled over on the side of the road and said, we're not going anywhere until you tell me what you want to do. And... Uh, I said, well, when we were trying to decide where to eat, he said, well, we, I said, we could go there, I know you like that, or we could do this, I know you like that, or we could go over there, you know, that's a pretty good place, that's the kind of food you like. And he said, no, what do you want to do? And I had no clue. Okay. I really didn't, I didn't have a clue. I had blocked out any idea of me having my own opinion for so long, I didn't have a clue. So I picked the one that I thought he liked the best. Uh, but you know, it opened something up in me. I suddenly realized, I began to realize that I actually had opinions. Now, having victory over that, I automatically assume that now I have my opinion, I will always get my way, okay? And it did not work that way. We, I had to learn how to compromise and how to negotiate and how to uh, decide, no, this is important enough and how important is it? And all those kind of things came to, to bear. Sometimes I still think it might have been easier for me to never have had an opinion. But... I wouldn't be who I am today, you know. I wouldn't, um, and service did a lot of that. You know, I would, uh, I learned that it was okay to state your opinion and to disagree with someone and maybe even argue and that you still could be in a relationship with them. I had no concept. When Dick and I were early married, I had a bag packed for the first three years we were married. And the first time that we had an argument, I was convinced we were getting divorced, uh, and I ran to the closet. I got my bag and said, I'm going. And I really anticipated that he would, like, stop me, you know. But he had actually been to meetings like this. He hung around al for a long time, and he just said, okay, see you later. And uh, nothing, you know, I tried early on all the things that maybe – pre-Alanons tried to manipulate an alcoholic work because he'd hung out with Alanons long enough to know what we try. So he didn't come running down the stairs and say, oh, beloved, don't go. 
he just let me drive away. And so, you know, I cried for an hour or two, and I came back in with my back, you know, and put it back up. Now, I'd like to tell you I did that once, but I don't even know how many times I did that. I would threaten to leave, and I'd go dry around the lock for a while, and I'd come back. Um, you know, what this fellowship has given me is the ability to learn that it's okay to argue. Dick and I don't have a perfect relationship, okay? And I mean, we're not up here because we're the shining example of, you know, lovey-dovey all the time stuff. We argue, you know, we're, but we've, we make it through things. We get down on our knees and we turn things over to God when we can't agree. Uh, and sometimes we never come back to that issue again. Um, what we are is a couple in AA and Al-Anon that are, will be married 26 years in October, you know? And we're a couple who have been very involved in service. I've been a past Al-Anon delegate. He's a past AA delegate. You know, we've been heavily involved in, in, in service, and that service has given us a purpose. Our real purpose, as Dick said, is to set ourselves to be a maximum service to God and his fellows. Our purpose is to, be a is to be of service in this fellowship and in the work we do. And, and we're united in that. And I think that that is the reason to stay in this. But so much of it has to do with the gift of being able to learn about me. You know, I, even the fact that I'm up here is a, a testament to Al-Anon. I was terrified of people. I was terrified of telling you anything about me. You know, I went to meetings, I'd hear somebody share, and they'd share something from their life, and I'd say, well, I'll never do that. You know, um, I just never imagined. I, uh, I now have a job where I actually have to make cold calls. And uh, I thought, when I first got this job, I thought, God, are you kidding me? You know, but it's, it's uh, I've gotten good at it. You know, it's whatever I need, whatever um, character defect I need to work on. The sixth and seventh step work me. I don't work it. Um, over the years, I just those, those character defects start falling away. And I'll never be a perfect person. But because I do my own work in this program, you know, I am still in a marital relationship in our 26th year. Um, truly, the family that prays together stays together. Uh, the reason that Dick and I are still married today is because of our spiritual life. You know, gratefully, we have the same God of our understanding, and, uh, and that's not always true in AA and Al-Anon couples, but I'm grateful that it is for us, and we can get down on our knees together and turn something over. Uh, we can look at what our purpose is. We can strive to do the best job we can uh, to have a group conscious and to find a unity and a decision of how we're going to handle a situation or what we're going to do in service or where we're going to go or, you know, how we're going to, how we're going to be able to pay for what we have to pay for in our life. And we've had a lot of challenges in the last few years with Dick's cancer. He was not able to work for a while. But it's miraculous one day at a time what happens. I can tell you that Probably the, the thing that has made the most difference for me in the last few years is to truly learn what one day at a time was. You know, in that year 2005 when my parents died 10 days apart 
We just shortly before that, we lost um, our 18-year-old Norwegian Alcan, who was we weren't able to have children. He was like our child. Dick got diagnosed with cancer that year. I lost my job shortly after that. I mean, it was one of those kind of things. If outside world looked at almost looked at me like they might look at Job in the Bible. You know, how can all these things happen to one person in a year? But I can tell you it was the most spiritual year I've ever had because I learned how to look at today, and I learned how to look at the gift that God gave me today. And living life anticipating God's gift in the day as opposed to looking at yesterday, what I had to resent or what I had to feel sorry for myself about, or look at tomorrow, what I had to fear, I finally entered my own life and started living my own life. And miraculous things, I think, were always there, but I don't think I ever saw them. This week, I was feeling a little bit sorry for myself, and I was uh, a friend of mine called me on the phone, and she uh, just wanted me to know that she loved me, and she's praying for me. And, uh, you know, I, my doctor had just told me I couldn't drive for another four weeks, and, you know, I was, I, uh, uh, my physical therapy might take up six months, and I didn't like that answer, and so I was... You know, I'm not perfect. I was falling into a little bit of self-pity. And she said, God has a gift for you and all that. And I got up and I walked out and I walked out to the deck and I looked out and there were two beautiful white doves sitting on the railing in her dock. And I've never, I actually have never seen a white dove in nature. I mean, I've seen them in a zoo. I've seen pictures of them. God's peace, God's love, God's guidance. You know, I get so many wonderful gifts just through nature. I would have never seen that as correlated in the past, you know, that God would give me a gift like that. And there's, there, every, there, I have one, honestly, every day. Something happens uh, where I'm a, a real testament to God in my life is shown to me every day. Um, and that's the miracle of this fellowship. And that's the miracle of having a relationship based on working the steps and the traditions and based on living a life, a coupleship, committed to the principles of the program. Thank you.